1: This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Speakers. Southwestern Speakers is comprised of top producing thought leaders, authors, and experts who deliver dynamic presentations that shift the hearts and minds of audiences worldwide. Our team of experienced agents can guide you to find the right speaker for your annual conferences, meetings, and events, providing outstanding service from start to finish. Southwestern Speakers goes above and beyond to elevate your event and offers additional programs to extend the impact of our speakers' presentation long after they have left the stage. On
0: today's episode, host Dan Moore welcomes author, speaker, and former CEO of Bridgestone Americas, Gary Garfield. Gary's new book, Driving Results, covers how he transformed Bridgestone at the financial and cultural levels and lays out his rules of the road for other leaders to follow when driving change in their own companies. We hope you enjoy. Well, listeners, welcome to the Action Catalyst. This is Dan Moore, and I'm delighted to have a repeat guest. Many people don't realize this, but you were the first guest when I was named to be the host of the Action Catalyst. So it's wonderful to have you back on.
2: Thank you, Dan. Great to be here. And thank you for having me a second time. A lot of things to talk about. I do want to encourage our listeners
0: to to go back and listen to the first one because it'll give a lot of the background and the career decisions and choices that you made that culminated in you becoming the the head of Bridgestone Firestone and doing such a remarkable job turning around a time-honored, respected company, but making them a financial success, a cultural success. So many things that you achieved. So I can hardly wait to talk about that. Really the subject of, of the book. The book is called Driving Results, out very recently here. You know, you were a surprise pick to become the CEO. You were the chief legal officer of the organization. And typically, the CEO had come up from either sales and marketing or finance or something else. You were really a surprise pick in that role. But you highlight in the book how once they informed
2: you that they wanted you to take that role, you did have a period of time to prepare and to do some planning. It it was incredibly beneficial for me. Going from the general counsel to the CEO, that's a big jump. You had to get your head around it. I had to get my head around it. They had named or told me who the COO was going to be. And we met for months prior to taking over uh, the organization. We worked nights, weekends, really thinking about what needed to happen to take the company to the next level. And the reason we were selected was the shareholder wanted more out of the organization. And, you know, that's what all shareholders want, right? They want more. That's what they do. And we have to give it to them, we have to find a way. To take the company to the next
0: level. That advanced planning time is so important rather than the ready fire aim that so many people go <laughs> I love that, the ready fire aim. <laughs> if it's okay with you, I'd love to delve into each of the six levers for driving change. And the whole book about driving change, driving results, is about competencies, which you detail so brilliantly. So if it's okay with you, we're going to walk through some of those. Now, one thing that you really stressed in, in when you first told me about the book, you said, now, Dan, this is not going to be like a menu where you pick, okay, I'll take this lever of change, and I'll take that lever of change. See, so a person's got to do all of them. Can you give us a framework about why you feel they're all important? And then we're going to hit, hit each one for a couple of minutes.
2: Absolutely. So I, I truly believe that the six levers of change, each of them are critical to drive change. Change is really hard to make. McKinsey did a study and concluded that two thirds of all change efforts fail to achieve their goals. And we all know that from personal experience, right? How many of us set a new year's resolution? And we do it for a month, maybe two, but most, most of the time it falls by the wayside. And on an organizational level, you don't have to just change one person. You have to change hundreds or sometimes thousands and thousands of people. So each of these six levers are critical if you're going to change a group of people. I think they all tie together well. The first lever is leadership. But for purposes of change, to me, two of the most critical elements of change leadership are this. One is trust. When you go into an organization and you say, we need to make some changes, people get afraid. They're worried about their job. They're worried about uh, if they have a new position, will they do well in it? How will their new boss be? Will the organization succeed? People are scared, and it's totally, totally understandable. But if they don't trust the leader, there's no chance they'll follow the leader. And the other, the other element of change leadership is a propensity for action. Hmm. I have worked with clients, they're trying to implement change, and the person who is head of the department or head of the organization just isn't engaged with it. They profess to want it, but they aren't pushing it. They aren't driving it or holding others accountable to drive it. And if you want to make change, if someone wants to make change in a group, organization, you've got to have a propensity for action.
0: Well, that propensity for action has to have many people with that same willingness to act. And you build that through the trust factor of gaining those relationships where people say, we're gonna follow this person. He knows what he's talking about.
2: That's exactly right.
0: one thing I was impressed with, you really stress over and over in the book, lots of examples about integrity. And you speak about it, not just legally, but also ethically and morally. The importance of the leader monitoring and modeling that at all times and how some leaders think they can be off the clock from time to time, but with social media and everybody's curiosity, nobody's ever fully off the clock.
2: Absolutely. Uh, I I believe integrity is essential for all leadership, Um, not just for the legal reasons uh, and the ethical and moral reasons, but for the leadership reasons. So in today's world, no one's ever off the clock. And in an organization uh, like Bridgestone, You're working with dozens and hundreds of people on a daily and weekly basis. If they see you acting in a way that lacks integrity, word gets out. They'll talk about it. That doesn't mean you'll have a legal issue. You may or you may not, but word gets out. You lose their trust and you lose the ability to lead them. Mm
0: -hmm. When you're trying to make massive changes in a company that has momentum in a certain direction, it takes more than 110% commitment from everybody. So if people are doing the minimum or they're holding back or they're acting like they're into it, but they're really not, it's impossible to make those changes you described. Absolutely. Early on, you spent about six months, hardly ever being home because you were in many, many locations visiting all the people you wanted to hear what they had to say by holding town halls. And one of the really interesting things about these town halls is you had a rule. We're not gonna plant any questions. We're gonna take honest, legit questions.
2: So we held these town meetings uh, and the purpose of the town meetings was to explain, you know, we need to make changes. Shareholders want more at many of these town meetings. As I went around the organization, the HR people or whoever it was that was organizing the town hall meeting would say to me beforehand, do you want me to plant some questions in the audience? And, and I had never even dreamed of doing that. (laughs) 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 To be honest with you, that was, Um, So I was kind of shocked when they raised it, but uh, uh, I unequivocally said, no, absolutely not. Number one, this company Bridgestone Americas was as much their company as it was my company. I had no greater stake or, or responsibility than anyone else in the company. My role was different. I was supposed to make different kinds of decisions than many other people. But everyone who was working there was investing their life and their livelihood in the company just as I was. So number one, they have the right to ask whatever question is of concern to them. And I would never take that right away from them. Number two, if it ever got out that I planted questions, my credibility is gone. My ability to lead these people, it it just evaporated. Mm -hmm. This was interesting on the issue of trust. In one town hall meeting, a young woman um, really, really, this was the very first town hall meeting, really challenged me on some of the changes we were talking about. And um, I did my very best to answer it. But after the meeting was over, I called her up to my office and I gave her a handwritten note thanking her for asking the tough question and having Being brave enough to do it uh, and telling her how much I appreciated that. I honestly don't know what she shared with other people, but I imagine she shared that and word gets out. Well, probably
0: she was and other people were afraid the opposite thing was going to happen, that she'd be criticized or somehow reprimanded or punished for speaking out so openly. But you made it the opposite. I think that's fantastic. Now, one other thing I was impressed with in in your chapter on, on leadership and trust, you spoke about humility. And humility does not mean being so humble that you
2: can't become a leader. I really like the way you talked about it. It's actually freedom from arrogance. Right. Really, the best boss I ever had uh, often said to people, arrogance will kill you. And I believe he's right. Uh, mm-hmm. Sooner or later, uh, an arrogant leader will will find their demise. And they'll do it because they believe they have all the answers. Their ego is driving decisions rather than the data. They, an arrogant leader, usually is not very open to receiving new ideas. Almost always is not open to being challenged. And no one, in my experience, has a monopoly on having the right answers. Business is tough. It's complex at times. Often is very complex. And the more you can debate uh, the issues, get the data with an open mind, the better decisions will be made. And arrogant leaders just often won't do that. So they squash ideas. They tend to make decisions based on ego uh, rather than on data. A leader who operates with humility is open to receiving ideas. And I think that's critical with all the complexities that go on in business today. Well, I personally appreciate
0: that clarification. Because humility is often confused with being uh, submissive, easily put aside. And that's really not what it's about when you define it the way you did, which is so perfect for this. Can we move into one or two of the other levers here, particularly interested in, in culture and the way you speak about it? It's the sum of a company's vision, values, and strategy, as well as the spoken and unspoken rules of behavior. What came out of that is what you call rules of the road. Can we talk about the rules of the road for just a second? Absolutely. Now, one of them
2: is uh, the boss is number one. Who's the boss? Yeah. So the boss wasn't me. And respectfully to the shareholders, it wasn't the shareholders. The boss were the users, the end users of our tires, our products. So in the tire business, we sell tires, uh, obviously, directly to you, to me, to other consumers. But we also sell tires to car companies. Um, and the car companies put the tires on their cars and sell the cars to the end user, if you will, of the tires. We wanted to really make sure that our focus in designing our tires was on the wants, needs, expectations of the end users of the
0: tires. So prior to that, was the boss considered somebody in the organizational
2: chart as opposed to the
0: needs and desires and wants of the customer?
2: I would say the boss were really the car companies, and the car companies do a great job. And I'm not I'm not being critical of them, but a car company when they design a car, they have a couple things in mind. Number one, they want that car to get great reviews, the kind of reviews that will help sell the car to the kind of people they have in mind. Well, when someone does a review like Road and Track or uh, another Car magazine. They don't drive it for 40 or 50,000 miles. They drive it for maybe 100 miles. They do it on a test track, pushing the vehicle to its limits. But you and I, and none of the listeners ever push our cars to anywhere close to its limits. That's not how we drive. We have different priorities. How long will the tires last? How well do they? grip when it's raining or snowing? How quiet are they? So we were very focused on giving the car companies what they wanted and sometimes not always what the end user wanted. So we tried to shift the focus to the end user. Which also
0: drove a lot of pressure on your product innovation because you had to have a product that could do well on the test track and also be those safety, economy, uh, security, mileage, considerations of the end consumer. Yes, it did. You really wanted to be innovative as a company. Again, it's a very difficult thing to change a culture that's been in there for so many years with so many thousands and tens of thousands of people.
2: What are a couple of quick lessons on how to drive innovation? So driving innovation was uh, really the key cultural change lever. If the company really wants to be innovative, you begin by intense focus on the end user of your product. What are their real wants and needs and how can you meet those? So that relates back to the boss, but then to drive innovation, innovation, you can't really just say, Hey, let's go innovate today. It doesn't really work that way. Again, it begins with intense focus on the wants, spoken and unspoken wants and needs of the boss, but we set up all kinds of systems. Uh, I, asked the COO to lead an innovation committee and we created what was called Bridgestone Innovation Gateway. It was an online tool available to everyone in the company to submit any innovation idea they had. We created an innovation department and they would monitor all the ideas that were submitted, the ones that were interesting. uh, They would discuss further They would ultimately present those ideas to me and the COO. And we would decide which of those innovation ideas we would create an innovation team to try to help make a reality. We held innovation contests throughout the organization and we received thousands and thousands of ideas, more ideas than we could ever possibly act on. But that's all right. That's great. That's better than no ideas, right? Through that process, one of the ideas that was submitted was, you know, it, 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 it can be an inconvenience, to put it mildly, to go get new tires for your car. You have to leave work, go to a tire store, usually wait there. Sometimes they can drive you back to your home or office or whatever it is. Then you have to go back again all of that. So one of the ideas was, why don't we take changing tires, to the consumer. So uh, a stay-at-home mom who has three kids, she doesn't have to come to the tire store. A doctor doesn't have to leave the office. And we created a specially equipped van so people could order tires online or by phone, whatever they want, set up a time. The van would show up in their driveway you give us the keys to the car, we change the tires, and, and the tires are installed just as professionally as they would be at a Firestone Complete Auto Care store. You give us the credit card, we swipe it, drive away, incredibly convenient. And consumers just love that. Well, again, it's putting the boss first. Makes total sense. Third one of your rules of the road is courage and candor. This was something that I thought was critical, that needed to be in the rules of the road. And we needed to create an organization where people felt free and empowered and entitled to express their ideas, to disagree with each other, always respectfully. It's not an issue of being disrespectful. That's not okay. But that's how you really get the best ideas and the best solutions. Uh, and it fosters better communication throughout the organization, making sure people knew they were empowered to speak up and that leaders and managers had the obligation to create an atmosphere where people could and did speak up. Which leads directly into
0: inclusiveness and collaboration, which is the fourth of rules of the road. How did you really kind of engineer getting
2: multiple points of view instead of just this limited perspective from just a few people? There are a number of things you can do. I think one of the things that I talked about earlier when someone disagreed with me, congratulating them, thanking them for challenging me and asking the tough question. Things like that are really important. But one of the things that I did when I held meetings on big issues, I would often start with the most, after the issue was fully discussed and debated, I'd start with the most junior person in the room. And I'd say, what do you think we should do? What do you recommend? And I'd work my way up in reverse order of seniority in that way that junior people are influenced by what someone else has already said. Um, and that, I, I think people f- enjoyed that. They They appreciated it. And you got their ideas and thoughts.
0: But well, not only that, gave the senior people lots of good ideas because for the first time they're by listening to the junior person.
2: <laughs> That's exactly right. That's great.
0: What about this one voice? What does that actually mean? Is when you rules of the road?
2: One of the things that sometimes happened in our organization was passive aggressive conduct. That's partly a function of leadership that isn't listening to people and empowering people to speak up. Um, they people don't feel like they've been listened to a decision's made and they aren't really all in behind the decision so one of the one of the rules of the road was we can't operate that way first of all people need to speak up they need they're entitled to speak up their opinions are important but once a decision is made we roll forward as a team uniformly in supporting that decision we don't go over to bob and say I was in that meeting, and they made an awful decision, and I totally disagree with it, and blah 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 blah. Yeah, we
0: call that the meeting after the meeting. So <laughs> that that one voice is important, and if somebody's not willing to adhere to that, you weren't reluctant to to remove that person because it was so contradictory to the rest of the mission of the organization. Gary, I don't think we're going to be able to go through every single lesson here. My my whole joy in this is that if the listeners can get some some meat out of this, which you've already given us. It's been so fantastic to pick up the book. And when you read the book, you really see why you can't just pick and choose one or two of these levers. That in fact, if you haven't built trust, there's no way in the world that your culture can be changed. If you don't have the right kind of vision, then it doesn't give you that authority to be a leader without the arrogance. It all comes together in a fantastic way. And it is a brilliantly done book. Thank you very much. Now, can you share a bit about what you've done since you've been retired from Bridgestone? I know you've been doing some speaking and some consulting, but uh, share with us some some things that you're you're passionate about, and interested in, and focused
2: on. Sure. Well, in addition to the speaking and consulting, and uh, just opening myself up to being a coach for executives, which I'm very excited about, uh, one of the things that um, I started to do about six months ago was actually learning how to play the guitar. It's hard. It is so hard, but I love it. As you know, I have a couple of guitars at home, but I don't know how to play them. They were gifts. And I finally decided, you know, this could be really, really fun. And I love music. So that's one of the things. How is Let It Be coming along? It's coming along.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's good. We'll get together and jam on that, which would be great. I would love it. Everybody, again, the book is called Driving Results, published by Wiley available where all the best books are always sold.
2: And you want to pick this one up for sure. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. I really appreciate it.
1: If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.